welcome to Porch Politics with the Equity Alliance co-founders and co-executive directors, Charlene Oliver and Tequila Johnson. Porch Politics is part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Learn more about them at tnholler.com or follow the holler on social media at the TN Holler. The world has always given Black people lemons, but the Equity Alliance is here to bring the sweet tea. Please note that the statements and sentiments shared are only those of the individuals voicing them and not of the Equity Alliance. Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> it's been a little minute. We've been working, but we back. Back to talk a little sugar honey iced tea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we took a week off for vacation, which is something that we really never do. Um, but we kind of forced ourselves to take seven days because we know the next couple months are going to be imperative and we're going to be burning the candle at both ends. So we wanted to make sure that we were one well rested, but that we were also refreshed so that our skin is glowing. Um, the hard work is flowing and we're able to actually change this democracy that's going to hell right now. Right. In a handbasket. Lord. It's, it's been, and it's been quite a few long weeks. Uh, we've had a lot happen as usual this is a really really trying time school is back racism Child. is at an all-time high it's, it's 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 going down right now so let's just get into it you let's know? get right into it uh first let's talk about this situation with our sister kia jarman kia jarman so for y'all that don't know um you know so Kia Jarman sits on the Nashville Beer Board. It's one of the many, I think over 50 or 60 um, boards and commissions that mm -hmm. the city has that are appointed by the mayor and you can serve on it as a citizen. So that, that's one way that you can participate in our democracy is by serving on the board and commission. So Kia is, has been on this board for several years and they are the boards that you have to go through if you're a restaurant, a bar, anyone that wants to serve alcohol, they have to get a beer beer license permit so they are the ones to do that now these broadway businesses that are on broadway have opened back up but for some reason they think that the rules don't apply to them um and they don't want to follow the rules that mayor cooper has set out in terms of COVID. so they're supposed to be social distancing you know not uh allowing people in over the capacity you know making sure people wearing masks and they're not doing that and so uh, what was the honky-tonk name? Um, the Kid bar yeah. that is owned by Kid Rock. He decided... Steve Smith. Steve Smith. Smith on it? Steve Smith, yes. Um, and uh, they got a violation for, um, you know, violating the, the COVID guidelines. So they denied a beer permit for a week. Wasn't it a week? I think it was a week, like or five days like or something. Yeah. They had they got their license shut down for like five days, and they had a fit, like a fit. And um, Kia got on social media and basically was like, "Look, this is what white supremacy looks like," and she called it out. She spoke truth to power. Like, look, we can't have this. Like, you need to follow rules just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so now they're trying to come back and sue Kia for what she put on her personal page. And um, for that, for denying them the permit because she, they're trying to say she abused her power. 
Right. And as we notice, like anytime a black woman speaks out about against something or about something, uh, because I don't, what, I, what I don't want people to think is that this was Kia versus them. No, Kia's job or Kia's commitment to public service as someone who volunteers to sit on the beer board. I also volunteer and I serve on the industrial development board here in the state or in the city. So I understand that as someone who has committed and taken an oath to serve on a board, you're essentially saying that I am going to be fair. You have a fiduciary duty to uphold those standards across the board. And so just because a black woman says that, hey, this is white supremacy, when you think that the rules don't apply to you, or when white business owners who pretty much make the majority of the money in the city, because let's let's talk about that. Let's get all into that. Let's get all into how Steve Smith owns half of Broadway and there are no black businesses down there and black business owners have been literally shut out of leasing a property downtown because we want to keep tourists happy. We want to sell this notion that Nashville is Nash Vegas for white bachelorettes that want to wear cowboy hats and cowboy boots. But when you look at the security guards, when you look at the bartenders, when you look at the people working in hotels, the servers, the people who are going to be impacted by COVID, by the front lines, the essential workers. On the front lines, they look like us. And so when one of us comes out and says, no, you bending those rules negatively impacts not only does it negative, negatively impact the tourists and open the city up for any sort of judgment if somebody comes back and says they contracted COVID in Nashville, but it also harms the individuals that work in your establishment that essentially make up the fabric of this city. Because let's call it what it is. Nashville does not look like Broadway. Broadway looks like Broadway. Right. And the story of Nashville has been framed to fit what Broadway looks like. But the larger population or fabric of this city looks like not just the black people, but the white people, the brown people, and everybody that's in this city, the teachers, the paraprofessionals that are working for a low wage, just trying to make ends meet, that could potentially contract some sort of COVID from a bar owner who is more concerned about his profit. And so, yes. It was white supremacy, but at the core of that white supremacy, it was also capitalism. And it is entitlement for them to come back and expect for Kia to recant her personal. She didn't make a statement on behalf of the beer licensing committee because Kia wasn't the sole decision on that committee. Let's right. just put that out there. Right. She made but a they targeted pers- the black person. But they targeted her. She made a personal statement, which she has the right to make a personal statement about her own personal experiences and what that looks like. And so, and so what they do is they like to use the law when it benefits them. Mm-hmm. They want to use the law to say, well, you you tried to put me in my place and that's not right. But they use the law to criminalize us. And that's not right as well. So we've seen it time and time again that when white supremacy rears its ugly head, it wants to uh, create laws, use lawsuits to put us in our place. And uh, we just ain't having it. We stand with Kia. I've been knowing Kia for several years. I met her when I was uh, working back at the chamber several years back in Williamson County. And I looked up to Kia. She's a dope, dope ass uh, communications professional. I learned from her and um, I, I stand with her. I know she's a hard worker. I know she cares about this city and I know she wants to see the best happen for Nashville and to let someone who doesn't even live here. Does Kid Rock even live here? I don't know. Like, sit your ass down. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm excited to see all the black community members stand up and say, no, we will not tolerate our leaders being publicly crucified at the expense of white businessmen who care more about their profits than they do about this city and the people of the city. So right. I think Mayor Cooper has let it be known through his actions around COVID and how he's phased in opening the city that he's not going to cater to wealthy businessmen um, as it relates to COVID. Now, everything else... The decisions I can't really speak on, but the decisions around COVID, I've seen firsthand that he and his administration have really, they've been making some power moves in the mayor's office. I think we, oftentimes we see the issue and we don't see the strategy or the political play that comes into play. And oftentimes I get it. Everybody isn't as deep into politics as me, but I've been seeing a lot of power moves. And I think as black people, it's important that we understand the long game strategy whether we think it benefits us or not, you know, we can push back against it when it doesn't benefit us and we should. But I think the first thing to being able to advocate or activate a community is understanding the long game strategy. So, you know, I just hope that Mayor Cooper does what's right and he doesn't allow um, this pressure coming from white business owners and these crazy people downtown because half of these people are the same people that was calling for him to get recalled for the tax increase. So I'm hoping that he does what's right and he stands with Kia as well. Right. So there's actually something you can actually do about this. Um, the Bear Board will be meeting, I believe, next month in September. Mm -hmm. They postponed the decision yesterday. But you can actually write to the Bear Board and write to Mayor Cooper, the mayor's office, and let them know how you feel about this. Let them know that you stand with Kia. Um, we are thankful to our brother, Lionel Matthews, the juvenile court clerk here in Nashville, who also is a longtime Nashville native. And he put the call out to mm -hmm. Black Nashville to say, look, we got we to gotta rally around our sister. And uh, so check out his page. Go to Lionel Matthews' page on Facebook. He's got all the information, the phone number to the mayor's office, the email to the beer board. And make sure you let them know you stand with Kia and you support her. Amen. All right. So what's next? Uh, keeping it right along with this, that bull. This is that bullshit. We, <sighs> this is the segment that we like to call. This is, this is that BS bull, a.k.a. bullshit. Y'all, I usually am very excited and over the moon and a lot of energy. But I'll tell you, today, I feel this sense of calmness. Um, but I also feel this sense of, like, urgency to dig deeper, to have a deeper understanding about what's happening around us. Because a lot is happening. And I think oftentimes when things start happening, our first reaction is to react. But I think what is being needed right now in this moment is time to sit in this moment and really analyze what's happening around us. Really think strategically and think about the long game or the longer play. And to really dig deep into the solutions around how we can change this. Mm -hmm. um, and with that being said, I do want to um, say, you know, send the most love and support to our brother, um, Jacob Blake, who whew, we all watched be gunned down, essentially shot seven times in the back, in the back. Um, by police officers in Wisconsin. And my heart just goes out to, to his family. My heart goes out to his children. And you know what? My heart goes out to every black person that watched that video. Because I think sometimes, like, we have all, like, I've been pulled over and I've been assaulted by a police officer before. Um, I've been arrested before a couple times. And, you know, it just, you don't realize the trauma that we have around not just policing, but I have trauma around um, going to the hospital. You know what I mean? I've been in the hospital before and 
not been given medication because obviously black people don't feel pain. Um, I've been targeted. I was expelled from high school my freshman year um, for a fight, which the teacher said that we hit him, but we didn't. So I've been targeted in education. I've been targeted in healthcare, and I've been targeted through criminal justice. And when I say that, I say that to say that deeper than just law enforcement, we got to start addressing what Kia Drummond was addressing. And that is the economic systemic capitalist racism that makes way for these crazy laws to be passed that gives the autonomy to the law enforcement, AKA the police to do the things that they did. So I don't want to just have this bottom up approach to how we fight for our liberation. I want us to fight top down too. I want us to start punching you know, going for the bigger fish and the smaller fish. Like, I think that we can change policy. We can take out the police. We can do all of that. I don't think that it has to be limited to just one thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I don't think so either. I truly do think it's economic. And uh, if we're going to get some change, we got to start speaking these folks' language. These folks that are in power right now, that all they care about is capitalism, making money off the backs of exploited labor. And so what we got to do is how do we hit them in the pockets? How do we make sure that they can't not only um, kill black bodies, but profit off of black bodies? And so I, I am standing solidarity and I kudos to all of the sports teams that are saying no more. Yeah. We're, not, we're not out here to be playing for y'all only for y'all to be killing us in our streets and our neighborhoods that we come mm -hmm. from. Yeah. So I, I think that we have to start looking at how do we make sure that as black folks, we're the, we're one of the top consumers mm -hmm. in this country of everything. We making people rich. So let's pull back. Let's we're pull back. Poor, yeah. Let's pull back and start uh, supporting our own communities. I mean, we've already been doing that. I don't want to say start doing that, but how do we make sure we're diverting? Not only if we go defund the police, let's defund some of these corporations. Yeah. Let's defund some of these um, entities that we're making rich. Yeah, because my, my, I'll be honest, like, I definitely want to see a change in policing. I definitely want to see um, police, the way we do policing as a way of punishment. I want to see that dismantled. But my fear is that if we take money from policing and move it to education, which is another suppressive racist system or move it to healthcare, does that shift the racism to a different area? Like, I know that we have to do something about how we're being policed, but I feel like it's so much bigger than just that. We seriously got to do something about women that are being, that are being killed in childbirth. We got to do something about children that are being targeted with expulsions and, and suspensions. We have to do something about policing. Like we have so many fights y'all like a lot of fights. there are a lot of fights for black people to fight right now and my fear is that i don't want us to do because I, I talked to i remember having a conversation with judge richard dinkins and he talked about the whole desegregation movement and how they fought for education reform and they wanted it to be one thing and then it ended up shifting into something that it wasn't intended to be and so i'm all for like if we're gonna take money from the police to have black organizations that are going to be in our neighborhoods helping to to change from the way we see crime as a punishment to more of a restoration i'm all for it i have a 100 buy-in but my fear is that if we don't talk about capitalism and how it impacts policies and our public goods then we're going to end up with privatized police 
that are going to be getting paid city dollars through a contract to police our neighborhoods because we know that if we don't address white supremacy, if we don't address anti-blackness, if we don't address BS policies and policy makers, then you are essentially just moving money to another system for them to use to do the same thing they were just doing. And so that's my only like hesitation with how we approach policing. Um, but do I think something needs to be done? I think there's not a black person in the world, whether they admit it or not, that doesn't think something needs to be done. I will say, I do feel like white people don't see police the way we do. They see police as almost like, oh, well, taxpayer dollars pay for them. And so they work for us. Well, they've never had to see it. it exactly. Like we do. Because the, let's talk about the history of police. And the police came out of the KKK. It mm -hmm. was to terrorize black communities. So, no, they don't see it. At, they see it as a tool. They mm -hmm. see it as a tool to, again, terrorize and as an extension of them to exert their authority mm -hmm. and control over black people. Yep. So, they don't. of course, they don't see the police as the bad guys. They've, they, they don't get pulled from their cars. They don't get harassed and pull over for no reason uh, to stop and frisk and search. Yeah. They, they don't have that trauma. So no, they don't see it the same way we do. And I said this on my Twitter. It's like the police, again, the law and order part, the law is for them. Yeah. The law is to keep them protected. Right. But the order part is to keep black people in order. In that place. Yep. And, and then so, just like I just don't understand why we're even having to have conversations about it. I I got pulled into this conversation around policing. I didn't even know how I got. First of all, they said it was a community thing. And then when I got there, it was about police. And I didn't realize how triggered I was from the police until I was in there. I was like, oh, my God, I'm so triggered by these people. Mm -hmm. And one white lady was like, well, if we remove our police, police from our neighborhoods, I'm not going to feel safe. And I said, excuse me, man, what side of town do you live on? Oh, you live in Franklin. Exactly. You don't have to worry about police in your neighborhood. So if you want to feel safe, bring the police to your neighborhood and let them ride around your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Because the same way you don't feel safe without police. No, what you wanted to say is you don't feel safe without people putting order on black people. You don't right. feel safe without black people being policed, right. without poor people being policed, right. which is a sense of privilege, man. But I think we got to detach the, the notion of the police officer to policing like the institution of policing is what we need to attack whether it's you know policing a police officer officer delta nashville or somewhere else remove the person we need to talk about the policing institution and the culture that is embedded in the institution around mm -hmm. how the police unions the fraternal order of police is allowed to have so much authority and control over how police, uh, uh, police, um, you know, what am I trying to say? Police departments, thank you, departments, not unions, are, you know, operating in, in cities. So we need to look at union contracts. We need to look at how our officers recruited in cities. Like, why do we have white police officers patrolling in black neighborhoods? We need to make sure that officers come from the communities that they police. And so it just if, if people if the patrolman knows Joe Blow that's standing on the corner at the liquor store, they're more likely not going to profile that person because they've been in the community. They know that person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So we got to look at different yeah. tactics. And different. aside from just having them come from the community, I think a bigger thing is the majority of the police in Davidson County come from outside of Davidson County. So you mean to tell me that my taxpayer dollars are paying for someone from Wakatuka, Tennessee to come in and profile black people and there are black people in Nashville that could use a decent paying job that don't qualify or aren't getting the job to be police. One, we already know is because nobody wants to be a police. Let's just be honest. That's not an honorable job anymore. It used to be an honorable job, a job of public service. But who wants to do that? And they don't pay. They don't pay well. You know, you're getting these these white boys that come from the middle of nowhere they've never even been around black people they've never even been in a metropolitan city and you stick them dab smack in the middle of the project and you expect for them not to think that joe blow on the corner who's six foot five and got dreadlocks is not a criminal you know what i mean and so a lot there's so much that goes into it again i do think that we do have to remove this individualistic approach to how we view police reform because it does not help it it and I know people probably won't agree with that, but what it does is, and this is the long-term strategy that I'm talking about, it gives lawmakers a way to wiggle out of it. When you look at just the instances and when you look at just, you make policing situational instead of institutional or instead of what it really is, which is law enforcement. If we really want to break it down, let's talk about law enforcement. The police are hired to enforce the law. So the lawmakers are the ones that are giving the police the authority to do the things that they do. And so if we are not looking at the bigger root, then we're just giving the lawmakers an easy way to say, no, I'm not going to move money from this to this because the law is what the law is. It stands. And so if the law stands to say this is what it is, and we have so many cases of this, statistically, we give them justification to continue operating the way they operate. And I know we want to just burn shit up, but before you can just burn shit up, before you can just blow stuff up, you have to build a bomb. And I don't feel like we're building bombs. I feel like we're going in with firecrackers trying to blow up an institution when we need to sit down, take our emotions out of it, take the sexy, radical whole notion out of it. And let's build this goddamn bum from the ground up so that when we go in there, we can really blow this whole shit up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to harp on policing as the only thing that needs to be changed mm -hmm. in our community because we get pigeonholed into thinking all black people care about is, you know, the police and it criminal justice. Yeah. Criminal justice. Like it's a black issue. It's more right. white people in jail than black people. I want to, you know, bring it back to Jacob Blake because what's been bothering me today and yesterday is how quickly the media, let's talk about how the media is also complicit in how race baiting and racism plays out in America. Um, I've, I'm really bothered by the fact that we so quickly went to the news cycle becoming, okay, Jacob Blake was shot in the back seven times. And then now all we're focusing on is protesters. And the only imagery we see on TV are uh, buildings blown up, mm -hmm. buildings on fire. There's anarchy in the streets. And now all we're talking about is the protester that killed two people yesterday. So it's no longer become about Jacob Blake. It no longer become, how do we keep centering the black life that was lost? Like, I don't want to keep talking about 
them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, it feeds into their narrative. It does. Um, it but does. also, let's. There's a bigger force at play mm-hmm. for me. Um, there's a bigger force in what's happening. You have vigilantes, as you want to call them, white terrorists, domestic terrorists, who are taking advantage of open season of unarmed protesters and they're using it as, as an opportunity to say, I'm taking care of my community and I'm protecting my property. And the police are turning a blind eye. Mm-hmm. This is happening in cities all across America. There is a race war that is being gaslighted mm-hmm. by our president. There's a, the whole right is ready. They're taking up arms and want to take out, you know, people of color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's important that we really start to talk about this has always been about race, which is why I think, um, going back to Kia, I think that's why her statement struck race so many nerves. and economics. Race and economics. But economics is race. When you think about it, we are descendants of chattel slavery. Like, our race has been you know, the, the, the foundation of economics. And so just because slavery ended doesn't mean that we stopped being property. You know, we've shifted from being property via education, via criminal justice. Everything right. that we do is attached to a dollar for them. And so we have to really think about what is it that they are losing when we win? Right. You know what I mean? And what does winning look like for us? Does winning, and it, and it looks different for everybody. And the reality is black people never get the self-determination and autonomy to decide what our reality looks like. And so I think the biggest thing is we really have to start thinking about how do we address systemic racism and economics? Mm-hmm. How do we start to address the economic lens that provides this pathway, so to speak, into this bigger systemic capitalism, racist society that we're just trying to operate in and live in, y'all. I mean, it's deep. It's, it's, it's oh my God, it's abysmal. It's, it's so much deeper than I think what we see on the surface and what the media and what social media gaslights us to see. And we got to start having those uncomfortable conversations. We do. We do. Well, white people need to have white people and I'm, I'm that's what I am so and I want to say this to everybody like me like Charlene. Race, racism is not our problem Mm-mm. this is a white person's problem that they created and they need to solve yes and that's what I think we should look at all of our issues as I think everything we approach is like oh black people are black people are no 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 America is Racism is a as American as apple pie, baby. It's an American issue. When you travel around the world, people who don't look like you or who look like you will tell you that race America is racist. Like you hear that. Um, policing is an American issue. It's not a black issue. Stop pigeonholing these social ills to just black people. You know, no, black people are used as the footing of all of these issues. But we're not going to continue to claim that and to allow our community to be kind of, I would say, like stereotyped as this group of issues. Like we have Mm -hmm. so much more to offer. And I I think that we should be talking about that. We should be talking about the things that that we do that they capitalize off of and make money off of. We should be talking about our creativity, our ingenuity, our, you know, our ability to take sugar, take make sugar from shit. Mm-hmm. We've been doing it since we got here. Um, and not always be looked at as like this group of ills. 
our cultural currency. Our co- that's it. Our cultural our currency. cultural currency is exploited. Mm-hmm. We are innovators. We are ingenuous. We are creators. We, don't let me start talking about the chosen folks. Yeah, the chosen people. But we come from kings and queens, yeah. and our beings are exploited in this country. I agree. Um, so yeah, like the NFL and the NBA. Let's <laughs> let's get back to that. But I do want to say this as we're shifting to that is that as people who have been on the front lines, as people who've organized, we have a responsibility yeah. to openly welcome every new person that is having a political awakening, a yes. racial awakening. It yes. is our responsibility to openly welcome them, to organize and to mobilize them and make sure that they have the resources and the tools that they need. Because what we often say in this space is that, oh, these people are going to go listen to the establishment. No, the establishment is going to reach out to these people and feed them information. And so Mm -hmm. if we allow our trauma from this movement work that we've been doing, this fight, to continue to burn in a moment where we should be organizing, mobilizing, and encouraging participation, then we are not doing what we say we are, which is organizers. What we're doing is discouraging people from working with us. And I don't care how... We cannot do that. I don't care how long you've been organizing... I don't care how you've been impacted. I'm sorry. We every black person in America has been impacted by racism. Right. We have a responsibility, y'all. We can't. We can't. Like walk Moses, we do. We have a responsibility. We got to lead these people, y'all. I mean, just like you know, not everyone's Christian, but as as born again Christians, we got to meet people where they are. Like we might be babies in our woke ism, you know, like. Everyone is not working with the same set of tools. Everyone didn't, you know, all black people didn't come from being mentored by, a, a, you know, a civil rights activist. Everyone didn't come from, you know, a parent who may have been in the movement. Like everyone is not working on that same playing field. So we got to meet people where they are and invite them into the process. Mm-hmm. We can't be so woke that we push people away. And that's not what the Equity Alliance is about. No, We're here to create new leaders. We're here to create new participants in our democracy. And we want to mm-hmm. invite people. We don't want people to feel ashamed. We don't, we don't want you to feel ashamed. It's okay to not know. I don't, I don't know, know everything. everything. Yeah. I don't know everything. I'm learning new things every day about, about systems we need to dismantle. And so it's a it's a process. It's okay to admit that. I don't know everything. I'm still learning. But as I learn, I'm here to be the Robin Hood in my community and I'm giving it back right back to people who need it. Like as I learn, I want to lift as I climb. Yeah. And um that's what I said. You gotta you know, do that for each other. If we if like if we're on the verge of this political exodus that I hope we're on the verge of quiet scale. If we're on the verge of this political exodus, we gotta think like Moses. Meaning you got to lead the people to the promised land. You can't be focused on all of the idiosyncrasies or all of the differences of opinion or all of, you got to understand that we have but one oppressor. You know what I mean? We all, all have a common We enemy. have one oppressor. And whether you are an entrepreneur that's a millionaire and you black or whether you are a person that's working in the corner store and you black, you have the same oppressor. And so, yes, there is accountability. Yes, there are things that we can keep each other in line on. But right now in this movement, I just want us to spend less time checking each other and more time checking in with each other and pushing forward. Because a lot of times I realize, even in myself, I'm going to tell y'all something about me. I'm a fighter and a firecracker and I do not mind. 
But one thing that I've had to sit with is like, okay, even though I don't like people or people don't agree with me, they are not my oppressor. They are not my enemy. They don't have enough power to keep me from getting to the things that I want to get to. But the time that I spend trying to validate myself from whatever they say or prove them wrong is time and energy that I could have, we could have spent together attacking a larger system. Right. And so I just want, as we're in this time, and this is for all of our activists and all of our advocates, I just want us to really have some grace and some humility for people, especially for our NFL players. Like I've seen so many statuses from people like, well, ain't nobody listening to Colin Kaepernick four years ago (laughs) and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, but Jesus was gone how long, B.C.? Yeah. And people still ain't following the commandments. I mean, I, and I just use that as an example to say that the road to justice is long and it's weary. And sometimes you are the lone soldier. Sometimes you are the only soldier, but you go and you move and you recruit. And it's like a snowball. The move, It's a movement. It grows and it grows and it grows. And so I don't think Colin Kaepernick is sitting at home like, see, oh, man, I'm mad. I think he is celebrating because right. within him, he knows that he sparked a flame. And while that flame may have flickered for four years, on that fourth year, mm-hmm. that flame ignited. And if I were in his shoes, I would be like, oh, my God, jumping over the moon. And so yeah. to the NBA players, to the NFL players, to the tennis players, to anybody that's socking into the pocket right now, I stand with you. You can call me on my cell phone for free.com, baby. I will educate you on every political movement, every law, every whatever. We'll sit with you through it. We'll handhold you through it, whatever, because that is what we need. We need people who are directly attached to the capitalism of this system to stand up for us people who don't have a dime or a dollar and say, I'm not going to let you keep making. We're not going to be target practice and entertainment. Right. We can work together. Like, even though, like, LeBron James got a hell of a platform. Oh, but I love LeBron James. Let's connect LeBron to the local organizers that's in the community so that he is informed on the demands that are already being had in the community. And so he has a bigger microphone than all of us. So let's feed him that information instead of chastising him for, you know, duplicating any type of movement. You don't know. Let's let's work together here. So that's my piece on that. Um, y'all let us know in the comments what, what y'all, y'all think. Yeah, what y'all think about all this, what we're saying, and uh, we'll we'll check that out later and respond. So moving along, um, man, we got a hurricane that's barreling down on us right now. Um, you know, it's a lot going on. It is a lot, and let's just. Let's just give each other grace. I have family in Louisiana. I have family in Houston. They are in the the direct path of the uh, hurricane in Alexandria, Alexandria, Louisiana. My family back at home in Little Rock, Arkansas. I have been texting with them all day long. My uncles, um, they don't have any power right now, but they're all safe. And so I'm just praying and uh, sending my love and energy to all the folks that are down the week. Louisiana. Uh, We know what happens when disaster strikes, especially distressed communities. Uh, So we've got to make sure our communities are protected. Check in on your people um, and mark yourself safe. Check in on your people, mark yourself safe. And and what I've been doing, y'all, and I'll be short about it is during this time, like I'm a big budgeter. (laughs) 
Uh, me, I just got off the phone with my realtor, Tiffany K. Part, and she was like, you know, I want you to talk about. She's just so proud of me because I'm a single mom. I mean, for the last few years, I've made less than $50,000 a year and I've been able to make some really good financial decisions and investments. And she's just like, as a black activist, you really people see activists as people who just always talk about it or advocate for it. But you're actually like making some boss financial moves on a little bit of resources and you should like tell this story. So shout out to Tiffany K. Park for like keeping me grounded and helping me secure my financial freedom. But what I've been doing is the money that I would normally budget for like my nails and like some of those extra things that don't really matter because we kind of stuck in the house. I've just been putting that in my own personal slush fund and saving that money up so that when something does happen, um, I can donate. Like I had money to give to Keita Haynes. I had money to give to Marquita Bradshaw because I've been putting that money aside. And so my thing is like right now, I know like people are probably saving, paying off debt, keep that. But the money that you will usually use to go to the movies or go out to eat, you know, if you're still in a financial position, like put that money aside because when this tornado happens, Lord, if this tornado happens, um, no, no telling what's going to happen over the next couple months politically, we're going to need our own money to kind of start moving things ahead. Right. In this moment, like let's take a, take advantage of this moment. And there are mortgage interest rates are low right now. Um, but I saw an article the other day that a lot of folks are buying homes right now. Uh, mm-hmm. So let's take advantage of that. Um, let's take advantage of getting life insurance. We don't talk about that enough mm-hmm. in our community. And a living will. I'm working on that right now. Well, I already have life insurance, but um, I'm working on getting building a trust for my family. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have to set ourselves up in our next generation of when we leave this earth. So building a trust, making sure you have a will, just write it out. Mm-hmm. Make sure you get it notarized so that it doesn't have to be fancy. But we as black folks don't do those things that can help us build wealth. Mm-hmm. And truth be told, life insurance is one of the biggest ways that white people wealth. Yep. build wealth. Don't get it twisted. Mm-hmm. They take advantage of the system. Yeah, I increase my life insurance policy substantially once I started doing this work and I realized like the life expectancy of someone who does this work is pretty short. I was like, you know, if anything happens to me, I want my daughter to at least be able to go in and have some sort of financial freedom. Um, I downsized a lot. I moved into a two bedroom condo that was really inexpensive. I've like, so I had an infinity. I sold that and downsized to a Nissan I, I try not to, I've never had a car note. Like it's some stuff like that, that I think I don't talk about it. Um, and it's, and then when I had that conversation with Tiffany, literally 20 minutes before we got on the phone, I was like, wow, I didn't know this. Like I learned this when I got to, bec- when I became an adult, nobody taught me about financial security or ways to, to, to grow financially without right. making a ton of money. Right. And so I think these are things that we can talk about. We can talk about what can we pull our money together to invest in. Right. Um, we can talk and about these not, things. Don't withhold information. <laughs> yeah. Like if you know something, put us up on game. Man. Yeah. I was having a conversation with a dear friend uh, several few weeks ago about how she can get out of debt. Like we've gotten ourselves out of debt. I mean, we still have debt, but we've considerably lessened it down to just one or two student loans. But we did that by debt snowballing, making sure that we're paying off those smaller debts Mm -hmm. and building on those that are paid off and putting that amount onto the ones that have bigger uh, balances. And so we've just 
we just been able to do that. And she didn't know about this snowball. She was like, man, I never thought about it like that. I'm over here doubling up on my rent instead of putting that money towards uh, the debt. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So let's just let's share information. Be open to sharing information like that. You never know who you can help. Yeah. And and they, again, that cultural competency. Yeah. Listen, everybody's making money off black stuff with black people. If you have a gift or a talent, I suggest you get with. There's some awesome people in the Nashville community that can help. Um, There's so many resources. And I think one of the things that Charlene and I have kind of wrestled with as we built the Equity Alliance is like not wanting to put too much on ourselves, but like there's a need for financial education, not just education, but like opportunity building, mm-hmm. you know, outside of what we see in, I think, some of the existing programs for people who have existing businesses. Mm-hmm. There's some needs for like, how do you become an entrepreneur? What does that look like? How do I market my skills? How do I build my skills? And there are some great programs out there that are doing that. The Small Business Association. I think she has an awesome program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's so Na- many. The National Business Incubation Center. Yeah. The resource. Definitely go and holler at some of those things. Speaking of, so you know, you all know we uh, have our, our fair share um, campaign going on right now. And just today, the CARES Act Oversight Committee was deciding on small business um, loans, not, not loans, grants, grants, to give out for struggling businesses. And they are um, going to be allotting, I believe it's $1.5 million. Mm-hmm. Don't quote me on that. I know it's $1 million and some change. But Pathway Lending will be the overseer, um, grant administrator of those funds. So if you are a Black-owned business and you need help with getting back on your feet through this pandemic, reach out to Pathway Lending or reach out to us and we can connect you. Mm -hmm. But there is money. That is taxpayer money. That's your money. That's your money, man. Go get your money. (laughs) Get that money, man. Go get your blessing. Yeah, and the state has, uh, I want to say about $300 million in small business assistance that literally, you if you qualify for it, there are certain industries, but basically it's everybody who's been impacted by COVID mm-hmm. um, that could qualify for this money. Mm-hmm. And you have, the only thing is, you have to have less than, I want to say, $10 million in sales revenue. Um, but you can go to the Department of Revenue. I got a thing in the mail for it from my LLC, Check and I was shocked because <laughs> I seen the Department of Revenue, I ain't gonna lie, I was like, I ain't reading that, I don't need that pressure right now. But when <laughs> I heard from about what the state was doing, I opened that mail and it was actually an invitation to apply for this money. So I think that we need to take advantage of these resources. And over the next couple of weeks, we're right now working to put together um, some sort of event or something. We want it outside to open up a little bit so that we can have more people be involved in it. And then we could also do it virtually to get these resources and this resource information out. Um, I want to see black churches apply for this United Way money. Yes, the United Way, um, as you know, the, the CARES Act Financial Oversight Committee has been meeting every Thursday for the past month. And the first round of money that they dispersed was for mortgage and rent relief they will be administering getting that money out to nonprofits. Nonprofits can apply to be the dispersers, distributors of that money. United Way is the grant administrator. They um, have been given $10 million. There's $10 million out there for Nashville residents. You are behind on your rent. If you are uh, behind on your mortgage, been laid off, anything that's been related to COVID, 
go get your money go get your money um the only thing is you that money will be paid directly to your mortgage lender or your landlord so it won't just be a check in your hand it will be uh paid directly to your um, landlord or mortgage lender so yeah. but, but the, definitely apply and then the united way is making grants um and the, the grant amounts there is no grant ceiling they're making grants to organizations, to churches, to any nonprofit to be a distributor of those funds. And I know 150 churches that give out mortgage and, and rent relief and efforts like that. And they're paying up to 20 percent in indirect costs, which is right. a lot. That means like if you get two thousand dollars, 200 of it, you can use towards whatever fees or whatever right. administrative costs you incur for distributing those funds. And so most churches usually have a secretary or someone, a deacon or trustee usually, that's doing yeah. that. There's usually a ministry where if you yeah. are hurt on, hurting with your bills, you can go to the church and get a little a little mm -hmm. check. If, if you're already doing that as a black church, you get you that are money, man. Candidate for this get that money. money. And so what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks is putting together a resource list and having our organizers actually like calling people like, hey, man, don't leave this money on the table because what's happening is white businesses, big businesses, they're growing during this time because they're taking advantage of these federal funds. And because we have always been hurt by government, we don't usually trust government. And so we're not taking advantage of these funds. We need to get this money. That's the game we losing right now. That's the game we losing, y'all. We Let me tell you something. White people, this is about power. About, this is about mm. power. White businesses, companies, corporations, they are the biggest benefactors of government subsidies. And when I say subsidies, that's welfare. That's money that goes from our taxpayer dollars as handouts to corporations in the form of subsidies. Corporations, contracts. contracts. They all lend they the government They take advantage pockets. of this. We be like, oh, we mad at government. We don't want to meet with y'all. Let them do something in the white neighborhood. Ha <laughs> They're going to be sitting at their front door. Excuse me. I'd like to meet with you. So I think we got to start, you know, one of the take things. Take democracy back, y'all. Yeah, take democracy back. One of the things that I, I always encourage people to do when they start getting their political awakening is don't just study our movements because they, they don't study their movements. They study our movements. So we should be studying our movements and their movements. That's the best tactic of war. Before they lost the power, use your enemies, man. Use them because <laughs> they will work they talk for you. Yeah. And so I think that we, we got to have a, like I said, a long game strategy for how we do this work. I know we coming to an end. So I do want to talk about one before we go into that. Our CARES Act Committee is starting to wrap up. So if you have not taken the survey, take the survey. And shout out to all of the wonderful Black people that are helping us lead this initiative. One of the things that the Equity Alliance does is we believe in leadership development. So when it comes to building our programs, we're looking for the leaders in our community who may or may not have a platform, who right. some do, some don't, but yeah. that are directly, actively doing the work that we can co collaborate with or create an alliance with. Yeah. And so we work with Kia Jarman on the business side, mm -hmm. um, Jerry Maynard, um, Leland, uh, and Leland for president. Shout out yeah. to Leland, uh, Rod, Rod and Rod, Alec yeah. uh, with Leo me. Strategies. Yeah. Like we about the people, man. We we ain't just about the people on paper or on social media. We about the people in the pockets too, baby. Right. So, okay. Um, so the sweet so, tea. Let's talk about some some good news. <laughs> sweet tea. So yesterday was 
Women's Equality Day. As you know, this is we've been celebrating all month long. Yeah, let's do that slip again. Do that slip again. Come on now. Okay. Sorry, we had a little moment. Okay. Uh, it's Women's Equality Day yesterday, and we were celebrating, which marks the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, which is the gives grants women the right to vote. Now, as y'all know, back in 1920, not all women, especially Black women, Indigenous women, Native American women, Chinese women, women of color, period, um, we didn't get that right, even though we marched and protested, we organized, we knocked on doors, Ida B. Wells canvassed her ass off, and um, we didn't get that right until 1965 when the Voting Rights Act was enacted. And so we wanted to uplift all of those women who got written out of history and organized. And so we wanted to amplify Black women and women of color um, on Women's Equality Day. So we did a walk for Ida and Frankie. As y'all know, if you don't know who Frankie is, it's Juno Frankie Pierce. She was a Tennessee native, mm -hmm. Nashville native, born here. And she was a, a suffragist back in the movement. And she was one of, a, of I believe, five mm -hmm. um, Black women in Tennessee that was really instrumental. She testified to the State General, General Assembly uh, back then to give us that right. So uh, kudos, shout out to Juno Frankie Pierce. They dedicated a park. The city uh, built a park in her name earlier this year. It is downtown uh, by the Gulch uh, near First Baptist, First Baptist Church, Capitol Hill, off of 10th Circle. Mm -hmm. uh, she works. was also a member. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was a member of First Baptist. Shout First out to Pastor Smith. Yes. yes. So we started at Frankie Pierce Park as a symbolic gesture, and then we marched to Ida B. Wells Plaza mm -hmm. yesterday. It was a beautiful, beautiful. It was a beautiful day, and I want to yeah. shout out Charlene because I've been in Mexico, <laughs> as you can see from my tan and my long walks. Um, but Charlene had this idea; she wanted to do it, and she organized it in what, like four or five days? Yeah, in a week. In a week or a little bit less. So while I was on vacation, she, well, I really was. See, I, I never get a day off, y'all. I can never get time off. So, Even on vacation, I was trying to organize a march. Yeah, so shout so. out to Charlene for pulling that off. Like, I was excited to see just the blend of people that came out. There were definitely a lot of Black women there. There yeah. were definitely a lot of white allies. Yeah. When we opened it up, I said, you know, in 1920, during the suffrage parade, parade, Black women were forced to the back of the line. But today, I want all Black, Brown, and Indigenous women to march in the front. Yeah. And I want to see our white allies behind us uplifting us. Yeah. And the, the white women that were there were like, I mean, it just felt good because yeah. I could really feel the sincerity that they they understood in that moment that they needed to allow us to be centered and allow us to lead and they yeah. they encouraged us they said you know thank you for saying that because we have our uh entitlement to this we know we can do it but we want all women to feel the same so I, that was just a great moment and the speakers talk about that speaker yeah. lineup girl let me yeah, tell you something baby so, so shout out to uh reverend sharizna talking about God is a black woman. Re Let me tell you something. <laughs> Reverend Charest, yes. not Jean-Marie, baby. Brought she brought the smoke. I listen, if that's the kind of church you go, listen, I got to send her my ties this month. Yeah. She, she, she brought the smoke, baby. She kicked it off. She it kicked was, it off. It was awesome. And then Chiquita Patterson. Chiquita Patterson is the owner of United Street Tours, black-owned walking black -owned, street tour. One of the only probably black-owned businesses downtown 
that yes. takes advantage of the tourist in, excuse me industry and uh she talked about crazy ladies crazy ladies being those crazy ladies that get into good trouble mm, mm, mm. crazy so, ladies are rising yeah what, <laughs> that's what that's because to do the things that frankie pierce and uh ida b wells did what she say you got to be crazy i know i'm crazy <laughs> I got a little crazy. You no, you crazy lie. to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just more fiery, but you crazy yeah, to me. It'd be yeah. the quiet ones, y'all. I know. I took a little. <laughs> <laughs> no, you will. <laughs> got a little shake behind me. <laughs> no, but it was a beautiful event. Dr. Fallon Wilson was good. Oh my god! And let me tell you, you something about Dr. Fallon Wilson. She that sister don't mind calling it out, baby. She'll, she'll write an op ed about your ass and chop you off to the you be walking on love. <laughs> she called it out, and yeah. everybody was like, Well, she she's speaking the truth. What can you say? The truth, is the, the truth. truth is the truth. It was the truth. And then Odessa, Odessa Kelly. Oh, I love you, Odessa. We love Odessa just. She's yeah. so <laughs> Yes. We had Gabby Salinas. Uh, she was great. She dropped all the way to Mem from Memphis to be with Shout us. Out to Gabby. She's a Democratic candidate on the ballot for House District 97, and she brought some words for us. Uh, who else do we have? Oh, Zofat. my gosh. Zofat uh, and Alora Young. Alora Young. Oh, my gosh. Y'all. Y'all, the youth is going to save us. I'm going to go ahead and make sure I go in a, a big enough path. Cause when they come, they play. See, they ain't come to play. They're not gonna come to play, and I can't wait to be old sitting in my I'm rocking chair sitting with my popcorn. Right, I can't be wait. Can't wait to be someone talking smack yes. as an old lady watching them make moves. Get yes, cause Alora Young, baby, that poem was so so fire. It was great. If you haven't checked it out, check out Alora Young on Instagram. Uh, yeah, she did a poem just just for the Nineteenth Amendment um 100th anniversary there's a youtube link we'll try to drop that in the comments to check it out it was great and we said zofat and zofat yeah yeah she you was, know we love, we love you z we love you z z yeah. said look i'm a black muslim woman in tennessee baby come see about me yeah. i said "Ooh, z got a little feisty i thought she was gonna say a cuss word but she did <laughs> but i think z almost let one slip y'all she was so fired up Yes, and then our black council women and our registered deeds and school board officials they came out. Yeah, black women always show up for other black women, they we show up I for each love other, baby. black women. And shout out to Erica Gilmore, too, yes, um, for she, being appointed as the first black woman, first black trustee. Black woman. Yeah, she was installed last night as well. First black woman, uh, trustee mm -hmm. of the city of Nashville, making history, making history, y'all. Yes. And that's important. I know that people are like, Well, we still got issues, yeah, but baby, let me tell you something, we chipping at it. It might not, we ain't busting boulders, but we chipping away, and then sooner or later, we're gonna hit a and yep. it's gonna crumble down, and I can't wait. Yep, so. Yeah. That's a good note to end on. That's a that? good note. Yeah, black women doing big things, the baby. Big things. Yes. So that's that that uh, wraps it up for us. I think. Yeah. Um. What, we, what do we want to leave people with? We always try to leave people with an action. Oh um, um, yeah. So one, definitely take the our fair share survey. Go to www.ourfairsharenash. Take that survey. Um, encourage your friends to follow the Equity Alliance on social media because over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be dropping um, our two-week push. We're going to have like two weeks of nonstop events around yes. the Our Fair Share Survey initiative. And we want to make sure that everybody's voice is heard on that. Yes. If you are looking to get involved with us, we have, uh, we'll, we'll have some volunteer orientations coming up. 
got to go to that orientation in order to get involved. But then you can text bank for us. If you have a group that you want to do it with, we can host a text banking party for y'all. You can help us call voters. We're doing that. Um, and it, yeah, we have events coming up. Yeah, uh, we got so many events, yeah, y'all. So we follow so along. We're going to have a couple fundraisers coming up. We are actively building relationships with businesses. If you know anything about the Equity Alliance, you know that you see those stairs on the side of our um, logo. That's because it's constant elevation with us. So every time we do one thing, we got 10 planned. Um, and we, you know, the work doesn't stop. Me and Charlene, we are avid, avid workers. And we are like, I worked harder in corporate America, so I'd be damned if I don't work twice as hard for black people. That's right. Um, so we're active, avid advocates about like just making sure that we're doing the work. We're always, whenever we have opportunities to hire people, again, like I said, we're always looking to hire from within our community because, mm-hmm. again, the Equity Alliance, we're not, we don't, I don't call us a charitable organization. Even though we're 501c3, I say that working with or giving to the Equity Alliance is an investment because you will see a return. Yep. Absolutely. All right, y'all. That's our time. We love y'all. Continue to follow us. Love subscribe. pizza hair grease, y'all. That's right. We'll see you next time. Check it out. <laughs>